tremendous exterior look and feel, tremendous mm-hmm. interior look and feel. We trained all of our staff with the Disney Institute from a hospitality perspective. So there were so many different parallel stories about how this was going to be a good thing that although there were challenges, of course, the anticipation outweighed the, any negatives connected to the delays that had occurred in prior years. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth. To help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. We are recording the first show of 2024. Could air in February, could we air in March, it doesn't matter. But I am excited to have my guest today, Andrew Schwartz. I've known him for almost 20 years. We were kind of just riffing on it. Uh, Former colleague, someone who I deeply respect and admire. Currently, he is the co-president of the New York region of the Howard Hughes Corp, where he leads a continued revitalization of lower Manhattan's seaport neighborhood with a focus on strategic partnerships, and programming. And he's been there since 2015, previously serving as the EVP of Strategic Partnerships. And he spearheaded the company's partnership platforms, including the uh, redevelopment of Pier 17's roof, which is pretty cool if anyone had to check it out. And he has a pretty cool career, sports, entertainment. We're going to talk about all that. Our time together at Sirius. It's time working at Barclays, Devils, Islanders, Nets, all that kind of good stuff. So let's get to it. Andrew Schwartz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir, for having me. Appreciate it. Good to see you. And uh, nice to be uh, on the screen here because I've watched plenty of the episodes and uh, honored to be uh, episode 300 and change here. 300 and change. Well, awesome, man. And, and it goes to longevity. And, it, and it's great. We were kind of riffing before I hit the record button. We've been at this game a while. We've been at this. And, and, and I need to say it's been incredible to watch your career trajectory, literally having a front row seat to it since the days it's serious. You've been focused determine and and you set a great example um as a leader as someone who truly um is passionate about their career who's focused and intentional and uh just want to say it's an honor to have you on the show and excited to unpack it yeah i appreciate it i I think the intent around the career is probably where a lot of the questions uh, that you ask and the answers that i give will end because i think definitely there's been a purpose from start to uh soon to be finished i guess Soon to be finished. Is, uh, this, guy, is this guy retiring early here? Is it? Is is, is this? Your, is this your? Is this your forever? I'm gonna. I'm gonna go off script here. Is this? Yeah. Is this your forever job? You think it's your forever so job? It's. 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 And I'm an honest person. And I'll tell you know anybody here who 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 knows me knows that that's the case. So for a long time, I've had the career goal of being the president of an NHL franchise. Uh, and as I've built my career, the concept was how many different, um, you know. Uh, life and work experience can I garner over my, you know, 20, 30, 40 years before I get to that career goal to um, be the best president of an NHL franchise that I can be. Uh, When I left the Brooklyn Nets and got here, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but I've been here for eight and a half years, the longest job I've ever had. And it's definitely someplace that I could see myself not I wouldn't publicly abandon the goal of being a president of an NHL right. franchise, but I got a, I have a really great spot here. And there are some exciting things on the horizon, which I'm sure we'll get to. It's so interesting, too, because when you look at companies these days, all these tech companies that are folding, I mean, Howard Hughes, for anybody who doesn't know who 
Can you just give us like that quick kind of boilerplate what the company's all about, a little history lesson here? Because people know the name. They're like, Howard, isn't that guy, that, that eccentric guy? Didn't they make a movie about him? Yes. Uh, I wasn't asked to star in it, uh, unfortunately. But yes. So we are, uh, at our core, a real estate development company. Uh, we have six different regions around the country. Um, those regions are what are called MPCs or master plan communities. And what we do is we have a, a very significant piece of land, um, thousands and thousands of acres of land. Um, in the middle of that plot of land, we'll build some commercial and retail amenities right in the middle of the donut, if you will. Then we will go to home builders like KB or Toll Brothers, and right. we will sell the first ring around that commercial hole in the middle uh, uh, to the home builders for, let's say, a dollar an acre. Then right. the more people that move in, the more amenities that are needed in the middle, we'll build more amenities. Then the next ring of land sells for $2 an acre and right. so on and so forth. And it Makes could sense. last 40 or 50 years, that process. And in New York, sorry, and in New York, the outlier uh, and not like the others is the historic seaport, um, formerly known as the South Street Seaport or the Seaport District. We've simplified it tremendously, but it's the oldest neighborhood in New York City. We control roughly 10, 10 acres or eight blocks wow. of the historic neighborhood, uh, cobblestone streets, uh, brand new Pier 17 we've built out there. We have about 10 or 15 restaurants uh, and an iconic uh, concert venue on the rooftop at Pier 17. It is it is incredible and and I, it's crazy. You have to be there, uh, head down there yet, but we hope to do that um, this summer. But the history of that seaport, man. I mean, it takes me back to my days. I think like my elementary school ships uh, trips, right? When they have the, do they still have the boat there in the yeah. harbor. Yeah, there are there are. Uh, is that the two Nina, boats. the Pinta, the Santa Maria? It's one of those, right? It's, it's two or the out Boston of the three. Tea Party, two right? out one of the three. Boats. Two out of three. We've renamed them. It's the Waver Tree uh, and the Ambrose. The Ambrose is the original light right. ship from New York Harbor. I, I and and could you still go down into it and and, and yeah, tow the boat? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Oh man, I'm I'm having flashbacks. I'll have to check it down there. But let's let's let's, let's hit the rewind button. Um, I want to talk about the power of internships, and and this is interesting. Our, our our careers actually overlapped a few different times in a few different ways. When I was in college up in Buffalo, I interned for the Sabers. I interned for the Buffalo Sabers for three years, and we had conversations about this. I want to talk about the power of internships. And there's a lot of folks that my internship straight up, I was not paid. Were you paid over to Devils? Uh, my first internship was actually at the NHL, uh, and they did pay us. I think they paid us $400 a month, I think. But that That's was big money back then. That didn't, that didn't even get me into the city from Farallon, New Jersey at the time. Yeah. How, how did you end up getting that internship? Because I think it's important, too, because a lot of kids out there, they're like, hey, I, I, I love hockey. I love baseball, football. How, how, how what would you recommend as a great first step for someone trying to get into pro sports and and, uh, you know, opening that door? Yeah, I mean, I think that especially in sports and entertainment, the internship route is almost a rite of passage. It's almost a must. You have to. Um, there's no skill set that you can, um, you know, uh, attain in school that prepares you to go pick up towels in a visiting team locker room or to get dressed up in a mascot costume or to throw T-shirts into the crowd. The those best. Things. It really just has to happen on its own. And you have to be uh, willing and able to go out and put yourself out there, of course, network, get the right connections and have discussions uh, with the right folks. I will say, though, that in sports, the lead time on internships is nine to 12 months. So yeah. if you're thinking in May that I want to work for the Mets, and I know I think you're a Mets fan. I want to work for the Mets. Unfortunately. 
I want to work for the Mets this summer, you're about a year late. You really need to be thoughtful yep. about the intent around that plan and get uh, ahead of it early. It's so funny, too. I, I have such crazy stories. And I remember my first day, and I don't think I've told the story of the show. I'll tell it real quick. I'm working at the Sabres, and they give me a tour of the arena, and I'm kind of blown away. I mean, you have full access. I mean, pretty much I could walk into, aside from game day, I could walk into the Sabres locker room, and they're, they're walking me around, and I go in, and and I see one of my idols, Dominic Koch, just sitting on, on the couch. And he goes, and I'm waving my fingers for anybody who, who can't see here. He's like, boy, come here. Get me Diet Pepsi. And I go and I get him. I'm like, Mr. Hoshik. He goes, what? And I'm just standing. He goes, you're just going to stand there? He goes, sit down. And he's watching NASCAR or something. And I sat with him for an hour. And I watched NASCAR with Dominic Hoshik just shooting the shit with him. Like the realest. This is my first day interning for the Sabres. That's and, great. And, and I was hooked and I was hooked. And from then, you know, you're in there with the, the practice, but then there's a grunt work and then there's, you know, the, the stuffing, rolling T-shirts up for the T-shirt cannons. And, and, and I think the real power of the internship, and I'd love your take on it, is understanding what it's like to work in a workplace in an office with other people. You're a college student, you're going to class, you're partying, and this is your first taste into what it's like into corporate America. And for some, it's a shock. I, th I think it's a it's a twofold conversation. One, it's if you don't live your life with the mindset that there's no job that's too small or, or too tall, then you're not going to go anywhere at all. If you don't help pick up the boxes now and pick up the boxes, then you won't be providing the visibility into your leadership. And I'm talking about early on, as much as it is now in the role that I'm in now, people will not understand and respect and appreciate your your work ethic. So I was in a meeting the other day and sort of, it felt good because some of my, one of my teammates was talking about our business and, and she reiterated that. She's like, you know, we all are, we're great teammates because we all operate with this no job, mm -hmm. too tall, too small mindset. And I was like, wow, where'd you get that one? But let's, I have that literally at the end of my list here. And I want, I want to talk about that because I think that's kind of lost a lot in society today with entitlement um, and this concept of paying your dues. Do you, do you think that's lost? I mean, you you have robust teams underneath you. You have junior folks working for you, um, not to say per se in your organization. But have you seen it before, like over the years, like this level of not wanting to pay your dues, not wanting to do what it takes to get there? I mean, I remember the work even at Sirius when I was technically mid-career, early to mid-career, like you do the shit you got to do. You do the grunt work. You do what you need to get done. And yes, physically moving boxes. I mean, I, re I remember stories of helping me uh, at, at Sirius, you know, because Christmas was not our holiday, but I wanted to help. And I would help the maintenance crew bring out the boxes to set up the tree in the lobby every year. Yeah. And they, they like that stuff. Yeah. When you're like, hey, no. you see someone carrying a box, you help them. I, th I, th I think I think the answer is yes. I think generally speaking, and right. I co I coach youth hockey. I you know I have a team of you know fifty five plus people here. You you know you find that in different places. Um, I can't tell you that it's generational per se. I know that when we hire people, it's not that they had done the exact job in their previous role before. We try and find people who we believe have that mindset right off the get go, and if they're really good and they don't have the exact experience that we're looking for for a particular role what we, we believe that mindset's there and they can learn and pick up on it i'm more likely to hire that person um, and put them ahead of somebody who may have done the same exact thing for five years who's also on the list well when you're interviewing how do you assess that what are some of your go-to questions how do you how do you pull that out to assess character listen i'm assuming by the time someone gets to you andrew they have the skills or most of the skills necessary for the job they're applying for but how do you pull out the, the the character, the work ethic in a you know twenty minute, half hour interview? 
Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say that I have a formula. I, I would imagine you probably have a much more eloquent way no. of, of executing that. No, I, I do not. It's, it's Spidey sense for me. I'll, man. Tell you, I'll tell you what I do. I, I always read resumes from the bottom up. I never start at the top. I think it's unfair to not understand the career journey and the path that they've taken to suggest that they're the right candidate right now. So the first thing, most resumes are very similar. It's mm -hmm. like, tell me why you volunteer for Meals on Wheels. I want to know why that's important to you because it's highly likely that the story is something to the effect of my grandmother was in Jackson Heights, right? And she couldn't mm -hmm. get out of the house and people made a difference for her. And it's my goal to make a difference for the people who mm -hmm. made you know, my grandmother, a happy person. And then by the time I get to the top, I really don't care as much because you're right. They've gotten to Take me because they've passed all the other tests. Now I just want to know what's in what's inside that. It's interesting too. like the way I like to do. I mean, I'm a recruiter. I look at resumes all day long. First thing I do is I, I look at the first thing just to make sure that they're in the wheelhouse of what I'm looking for. And current experience and yes i look at the bottom i like to see their trajectory i like to see their i like to see their journey what was one of those things you remember when you know you were at the nhl then you went on to the to the devil's crap keep me straight there yeah. um in those in those early jobs maybe it was something that was uh you were expecting it to go one way and it happened to to be something different maybe one of those hard lessons learned the hard way um did you I will open, give up, you... open up your mouth. Did you open up your mouth at the wrong time, wrong place? We've all done that. No, I, 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 I uh, when I entered at the NHL, um, uh, that was a short term gig as all internships are. It was for the 2001 All-Star Game, which was in Colorado uh, at the newly opened Pepsi Center at the time. It's since changed the name. I think it's called the Ball Center now. Um, and I left the NHL and I was sitting at home and. Uh, and someone from the NHL called me and said, hey, I heard about a job that I think you'd be great for. Um, and I'm like, OK, you know, great. That's terrific. What is it? It's like it's a coordinator of community relations at the New Jersey Devils. And I was like, wow, that sounds that sounds great. Like NHL club. I actually at high school, I was the stick boy for the Devils in 95, 96. And you're a Devils fan, right? I'm an Islanders fan, but I think I get confused for a Devils fan more often than, than not. But that's okay. So I, that's a shock. To, I thought you were. I thought you were a hardcore Devils no, fan. Big, big Islanders fan. But, Good. Now, um, now we're friends. Now we're friends again. Good. <laughs> so, so once we hate uh, the Rangers, I'm cool with that. You know, we're I, aligned. I the Flyers too. They said, like "Give this guy a call. He works at the Devils now, and he'll tell you more about it." So, um, I give this guy a call. His name is Glenn Adamo. Um, he says, um, I said, you know, I heard you have a job opening. Would love to talk to you about it. He says, I don't have a lot of time to meet, but if you want to tell me a little bit about yourself over the phone, you know, that's great. And I said, well, I, you know, stumbled a bit, uh, got my bearings and said that, you know, I just finished up at the NHL. That's how I heard about this. Before this, I was at the University of Connecticut. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. You went to UConn? And I said, yeah. He goes, all right, can you come in today? So put on my dad's that, suit today, ham today. hammered down Route 17 to uh, the Continental Airlines Arena at the time and met with him yeah. about this community development job. What was not shared with me until day, really later on in the day, because he hired me on the spot, was that it was also the mascot job. I was going to transition this. into uh, my career, my two-year career as a full-on professional mascot, ESPN commercials, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, for, for two full seasons. Let's, let's talk about that because one of the, one of the most joyful parts of my internship was working with Toothy, the saber tooth, uh, mascot of the Buffalo Sabres. 
And little fun fact, and you probably know this is a mascot. What was the devil's mascot name? Uh, NJ Devil. It's incre- extremely creative. Remains it's, that's, that the, that's, remains that's, the that's, case today. Actually, so, such a jersey. That's such a jerseyism yeah. right there. They couldn't. Yeah. We're gonna, but one of the cool things was like I, I obviously knew the guy under the mask because we would have to have like a body language. This guy would. So many chicks would give me their number to give to him. Yeah. I was like, he's a mascot. You don't even know what's happened there. But there was something that that attracted the ladies to the mascot. Did you did you get any of that with NJ Devil? I love I'm, I'm my de- wife. I'm de- I'm de- I love I'm de- my wife. She's great. No, uh, I'm, no. I'm dead. Andrew, I'm dead serious yes. with that story. I'm yes. dead serious. Yes. You 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 can't talk when you're in the mascot costume, but you can listen. <laughs> And there were many yeah. times that people would come up, men and women, and say ridiculous things. And certainly, ridiculous. there were some there were some interesting comments that were made over the years. Because they're trying to get you to say something, and you know you're not going to do it. It's like it's like a game. But like you would get prodded and pulled and poked and beer spilled on you, right? That's just an like occupational hazard. The other cool part, I don't know if you had this. Um, Toothy had a giant, you know, paw, glove, hand, whatever, mm-hmm. and he couldn't really sign the autographs. So he had this Sharpie. I swear to God, it was it was terrible. It was like this big, right? He had this giant Sharpie because he couldn't like grip around it. And I still have that Sharpie to the day downstairs in my workshop in my uh, in my toolbox. I've always yeah. kept it with me as a reminder. But it's like it's I, it's like a novelty Sharpie, and I could still sign the thing. But that was like my job. I would have to go with him, and then we did the T-shirt cans. That but that was fun. But like, what, what were the lessons there? Right? Like, how did that prepare you for where you're sitting now? You know, the co-president Howard I mean, New York Regional. It's it's right. the it's the epitome Mascot of the president, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's the epitome of no job too tall, too small. So you you by the way, you want this job, you got to put on this thirty five pound costume for three and a half hours every night. You have to skate around the ice. You have to sweat your brains out. You have to go to and and Lou Lamarillo, who who now obviously is with the New York Islanders, who was the president of the team at the time. He would not allow us to say no to appearances. So mm. if we were having a birthday party at Jenkinson's down at Point Pleasant on a Saturday morning in the summer, I had to go and get dressed in the men's bathroom there and, and, and make it happen for those Devils fans. Oh, my God. Those people must have been like, what the hell? They see under the stall. They see these like big legs and yeah. everything coming out there. Yeah. 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 You, on a Saturday morning, it wasn't the cleanest stall either from the night before. Oh geez, those 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 are good. We we tried to get Mr. Met for the after party for our wedding, but it just it didn't it didn't work out. My wife thought he would kind of steal the show. Yeah, right. You don't, want, like, you you know don't want your wife thinking that someone's going to come and steal the show at your wedding. Well, it was it was it was the after party, but but I digress. Let's talk let's talk a little bit about um, uh, the Barclays Center um, and what that meant for the community. And you were there from from the beginning, right? Tell us a little bit about the origin story and maybe some of the uh, challenges in, in building and bringing two sports teams into Brooklyn. Yeah, so I'll, I'll actually put it in your world for a second. I was at SiriusXM uh, and I got an email from a recruiter who told me about this, this job, vice president of, of sponsorship sales at the New Jersey Nets at the time. And I didn't believe I had a moment of doubt in myself. And I said, I don't know that I'm, I'm there yet. So I ignored it. Um, that gentleman emailed me a couple of weeks later and said, listen, mm-hmm. this job is still open. Would love to talk to you about it. And I responded. And I was like, listen, I'm happy to meet. Every conversation is a good conversation. I'll tell mm-hmm. anybody who works with me or for me now. Take like, a call. You, have, you have to do that kind of stuff. If you owe it to yourself. He's like, just let me just let me let me just meet with you and tell you about it and put you in front of some people. So 
long story short, you know, my career trajectory and path told a different story than all of those other ones who had literally had years and years of vice president of sponsorship sales experience. And, and the CEO of the Nets at the time was the commissioner of the Big 12 now believed in that story and, and, and took me on. Is that um, Brett? And then, yeah, it was Brett. Yeah. And then uh, I went to New Jersey and it was the, the, it was the end of the, the season that year. So I got a couple of games under my belt. And then the lockout happened the next season mm. where they didn't play until Christmas. So we had a truncated season on the back half in Newark. So basically played from Christmas to April. That was our last year in New Jersey. And it was a bit of a lame duck season obviously because everybody knew the team was leaving it was a truncated right, season the team was 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 you know pretty not terrible but weren't wasn't great and then along with the other executive leaders you know we were building along the way this parallel path uh to moving a professional sports team into the borough of brooklyn which is i think one of the top 10 largest cities in the united states if it weren't a part of the five boroughs of new york city gentlemen across the nation i have an urgent message for you this episode of the podcast is brought to you by manscape the brand that took your balls to space is now launching them to the ultrasphere introducing the lawn mower 5.0 ultra featuring a new cutting edge design and next generation dual skin safe blade heads for different shaves pretty much a spaceship to take your boys downstairs to the next level join the nine million men worldwide who trust manscaped with the brand new lawnmower 5.0 ultra by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping when you use the code POSCAST, p-o-z-c-a-s-t high tech for low places that's manscaped and i gotta tell you since i got my hands on this pair of trimmers my life downstairs has changed. My wife loves it, if you know what I mean. But let me tell you, this has made it so much easier to take care of what I need to do downstairs. You know what? Take it on the go. Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock to avoid any accidental powering on or weird looks in the airport. Guys, check this out. Go to manscaped.com. Get 20% off when you use the code POSCAST plus free shipping. I'm telling you. Your balls have been through enough. It's time to go ultra with Manscaped. Check it out. I mean, you're taking a fan base, and 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 correct me a history on this. Didn't the Nets start in Long Island? Yeah. Now right. So what? Right, the mausoleum, which is five minutes away from my from where we're recording right now, which is that's a whole other story. What a fail! What a fail on so many levels. The Nassau Coliseum. They had the chance there to really build. Anyway, I digress. Um, but you have a team that has its roots in Long Island. They move out. That was the ABA, right? When they were there, and then before went to the right, yeah, yeah. right. Doctor so, so then it goes. So, yep. Right. So then it goes out to Jersey. They build a fan base. Did it piss off a lot of people? They moved to Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they had. You know, they made back to back finals. I think in the two thousand and one, two thousand and two timeframe. I think they lost to the Spurs, and then they lost to the Lakers. And I think at that point in time, yeah, there was Kerry Kittles and Drazen Petrovic, and they they had had. A fan base, but I don't know that there was any superpower caliber player that had brought them to any far reaching, you know, top ranks in the in the NBA. And actually the team moved to Newark in part to start to get the New York City season ticket, corporate season ticket base used to getting on the train and going right. to Newark to where Prudential Center is because in a year or two years time, they were just going to get on the subway from Manhattan and just go to Brooklyn. So they got them accustomed to being on mass transit versus you had to get in your car to go to, to the Meadowlands. 
So, what I mean, I, I, I thought I thought it was a slam dunk, pun intended, going to Brooklyn. I thought that the, the neighborhood was primed for it. I mean, yes, you're battling a Nick, Nick City, right? But how did... How did you? I mean, what was? I forgot what the tagline was. Welcome Brooklyn or something. There was something. Hello Brooklyn. Hello Brooklyn. Hello Brooklyn. Done by the world famous marketer Elisa Padilla. And what were the challenge? What were those early challenges? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I there was such Acceptance a desire. And- yeah, there was such a desire and an excitement to bring the team to town. Bruce Ratner was a Brooklynite, and he owned the team at the time mm-hmm. before selling it to to Mikhail Prokhorov, the Russian oligarch. Um, Jay Z was a "Quote unquote owner uh, yeah. percentages have been uh, often debated in the in the news and on social media, but he was at, he had a seat at the table. And Jay is a Brooklynite. Um, yeah, and, you can't get more iconic than Jay Z. And the, the 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 black and white colorway was the first true black and white colorway in professional sports, and Bold. it was it was a, it was a defining moment and um the launch campaign was really successful and we we're bringing tremendous amount of jobs to brooklyn it was at the corner of atlantic and flatbush the mall was beautiful there. beautiful arena beautiful tremendous tremendous exterior look and feel tremendous mm-hmm. interior look and feel we trained all of our staff with the disney institute from a hospitality perspective so there were so many different parallel stories about how this was going to be a good thing that although there were challenges, of course, the anticipation outweighed the, any negatives connected to the delays that had occurred in prior years. And, and, and the whole, correct me if I'm wrong, keep me straight on the timeline here. When did they start to introduce the, the, um, the, the one-off third jerseys, right? The, the custom design from the folks in, in, in the city. I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, I thought that was, I thought that was during, that was, it, it may have been, but I can give you an exact timeline. I mean, I, we, but, we had, we had some mark, we had some merchandise um, folks, um, gentlemen by the name of Tyrell Kirkham, who just pushed the oh, limit. Yeah, that's, that's what t- you, you introduced me to him. Yeah. I had him on my show. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And now he's, and now he's, uh, he's some crazy big job. What's he doing now? Big 12. He's uh, also at the, he's also at the big 12 with former CEO. President, right. And that's uh, Brett Yarmark. Yeah. What a, what a good dude. We had a great yeah. conversation and thank you again for, but not, uh, not, it's not all that glitters is gold uh some challenges with bringing the islanders over because the islanders as you know that fan base we are savages savage grimy long islanders and we're like we got to go to brooklyn and to be honest it wasn't the best arena for hockey correct me if i'm wrong the 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 scoreboard wasn't centered it wasn't set up right for hockey one of the end zones was it wasn't the players didn't really love it from what i heard yeah, so I I'm mean, a fans. A gr- grimy, grimy Long Islander. I mean, that sounds like <laughs> you're talking about somebody from New Jersey, but I understand the point. No, um, no, we have a lot of similarities. As much as we talk yeah. shit about the Jerseyites, there's a lot of similarities, and I, yes. I think, I think, the, I think the Long Islanders are a little bit grimier, to tell you the truth. Okay, well, I'll, 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 coaching youth fans? hockey, coaching youth hockey. Now I could tell you that we play the Long Island teams. It's a tough crowd there. Um, how, old, how, how old are the kids you're coaching? Uh, they are 12, 12 years old. You're definitely playing against my friend's kids that are in the Junior Islanders. We'll talk about yeah. that offline. Yeah. My buddy's kids are playing. They're like, they, these kids have crazy hockey here. They're 12 years old. They're 5 a.m. Like, they're awesome. My friend's yeah. dads are out there schlepping them out. It's like, this is good stuff. Yeah. That right, is, so back to the my, Islanders. That is my life. Yeah, so so the building was built for basketball. Unequivocally, was a basketball-built building. And the reason they did that was because they wanted to put more permanent seats closer to the right. court. Um, as possible so that they can stretch the, the lower bowl and then have the appropriate suites that felt closer to. And, and while it had, uh, you know, uh, a rink underneath it, the eventual goal was if it works out great, but it doesn't need to be a priority because the priority is for basketball. 
Um, and yes, when we brought the Islanders in, there were some challenges because a rink is 200 by 80 versus 94 by 50. The scoreboard was in a certain spot for the dimensions of a basketball rink and a basketball court and a hockey rink didn't exactly fit. And yes, on one side, I think it was the South side, open. the, the, um, the roof, like the stands, right. And the stands yeah, also the, the, like the, the upper deck couldn't see, uh, the entire way you couldn't see the, the close zone, if you will, the close defensive zone, right. depending on who was where, but yes. And it was tough too. I mean, you're talking about a fan base that didn't really embrace it. Um. Yes. The, oh, the I, yes, the Long Island Islanders mm-hmm. fan Correct. base didn't. We did a lot of work with the Long Island Railroad right. ownership. They didn't want to come on in. The railroad. We put the players on the railroad to have them but come to the game. It's easy. I have no problem going to Barclays. I, I my, the train station is a minute from minute from where I'm standing right now, and I don't mind going to Barclays. But people yeah. did. They like the tailgating. They like the element of of driving there and a lot of them driving drunk home, but like, you don't want that. Right. But like the train, you built up a campaign with, with, with the train. What was one of those big lessons learned from the whole Islanders uh, migration? Um, I think that, um, you know, what, what doesn't break you makes you stronger kind of a thing. I think that we wanted it to work, but what happened in the end is we bought Nassau Coliseum. Uh, the the Mikhail Prokhorov and Onexum holding group. We bought Nassau Coliseum. We put $160 million into it. And we actually found a way to put the Islanders back there, albeit for a short period of time, a very important time in the, in, the, in the trajectory of the <clears throat> team because they made the playoffs and the fan base was just absolutely the barn, the barn was rocking. Yeah. So I, I guess whatever's old is new again to some extent is the lesson learned there. We're able to put them back in the place that they had come from, and albeit they've departed since then. But for our our win in that moment, we're able to buy another arena, put 160 plus million, and move a team mm-hmm. back to where they belong. Well, you can't put lipstick on a pig. It's still Nassau Coliseum at the yeah. end of the day. You know, it's a big Indeed. shiny thing, the bean right now. Now um, it is. It's good. Have you been out to UBS Arena yet? I have on probably a dozen a dozen occasions. Awesome. I, I, so I love it. There's a, it's a, it's kind of, um, my wife's law firm has a, has a suite there. So I've been to a bunch of the Islander games there and it's a lot of fun. The sight lines are great. Um, it's kind of understated, like it's a billion dollar arena. It's a beautiful building, but there's something, there's something understated that kind of fits in because Barclays is loud. Barclays is Brooklyn. Barclays is black and white, shiny, glossy in your face. UBS, they built it for the, for the, for the fans and for the, for the community. What, what do you think of the arena there? Yeah, I think a lot a lot of brick on the outside looks like it should fit in there, especially right. next to the to the racetrack. I think that the um, Islanders colorway, the orange and blue, it's tough to design a beautiful modern looking no. arena <laughs> with with that color scheme. Uh, but they've done a really good job. The concourses are nice and wide. The concession stands are are easy to find. They've built those pockets of F and B areas mm-hmm. so people are not in the way and the lines don't issue cause an issue with the the, the 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 fans who are walking around trying to get to the uh, to the merchandise store, the stuff that they've done with the Isles Lab, uh, which is their merchandise line uh, cool there, stuff. and the team store is all is all great, top-notch. How, how do you apply a lot of these learnings from sports into this cosmopolitan city, Pier 17, um, building a, a concert venue on the roof? Yeah. You know, how, how do you apply those sports lessons in hospitality to a, a, a music venue? Well, first thing I did was hire uh, people who came from sports. 
because they have that similar mindset. The late night, the you know Sunday game against the Timberwolves in Brooklyn in the middle of a snowstorm, and you live in New Jersey, yeah. but you got to go. Everybody has <laughs> most of the people that I brought on have that mentality. So when do it came to do. When it came to working hard, the idea of working a late night concert in the middle of the summer on the rooftop next to the Brooklyn Bridge was like a, a walk in the park compared to what most people have done. But at their core, they knew that, you know, they were going to have to work hard and that that no job too small, too tall mindset came back and, and came to life uh, again. I love, and I, love think it. Just, I, to- I think just generally speaking, the, the, the idea that... Um, you know, we could do something transformational. People I hired were from um, who had opened City Field, who had opened MetLife Stadium, who had opened no. Barclays Center. We were going to open a new venue. They needed to have that mindset that there's this tremendously truncated period of time before you open that it's absolutely insane. But then you've done something transformational. You've done something insane for some people to consider that leads to great success for, for them and for the business. There's some there's something about the folks that work in sports and entertainment. They understand the two things, one the urgency of it and then the end user, the experience. Right? Your job is to make an amazing experience for the people that come there. And that kind of transcends everything in the way you work and the way you produce and there's there's just a different vibe. So I want to take a little bit of a turn and I want to go back to a little bit. I want to talk about your passion for hockey. Uh, I know you do a lot of work with disabled hockey players as well there too. Um talk to us a little bit about how that side of your professional and, and, and personal life intersect and what that means yeah. to you and your family. Hockey, I, I can trace everything back to hockey. I can trace this job back to hockey. And I will give you that story because it's a good one. The the guy who built Barclays Center, his name was Shervin Baftechi. He was the construction manager. He was a hockey guy. We laid the rink down in August of 2012 before Barclays Center had its grand opening. I was in New Jersey. He said, the ice is ready. Can you come to Brooklyn right now and be the first person ever to skate on the no ice way. with me? And I grabbed my gear and I ran, drove into Brooklyn. Uh, and, and I was the first ever to skate on the ice at Barclays Center. That same guy, Shervin Baftechi, is the guy who built Pier 17, where I work now, and called me after five years in Brooklyn and said, I want you to come and work at this company. Come and be transformational with your mindset and build a partnerships business. And hockey, because we were hockey fans and friends originally at Barclays Center, made him think of me first and got me over here. So, yeah, I mean, the sport from internships, from the way that I give back to now the connectivity that I have with my son, making memories with my family, going to games, traveling to tournaments. It's it's core of who I am. I actually have a bunch of trophies here. I was contemplating putting them behind me uh, for the for the podcast. Uh, I still play. I'm on the ice three nights a week myself for my old man, Beer League Hockey. And and I find business and personal relationships uh, are threaded through it all. I, I, I love it. And, 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 and that's a tremendous story. I've, I've had, uh, I don't know if you caught the episode with pride, Chris Pronger on the show. I don't know if you listen back to that. Yeah. He was amazing. We had the yeah. fun. We were just laughing the whole, like we were just, did you, did you see the, and I'll, and I'll send it to you afterwards. Um, it was an all-star game and Justin Bieber, who's a hot group in Canada, Justin Bieber's yeah. out on the ice and Pronger smashes him against the boards. Against the boards. Gives, yeah. gives him a nice little facial against the boards. Yeah. And I brought that story up and he, and he was telling that story, but Pronger was great. I also had a uh, crazy, crazy story. You familiar with the Dave Scatcherd story too? Yes, of course. Yeah. Dave Scatcherd. Um, fun fact. That is my number one most downloaded episode. Dave Scatcherd. Wow. Um, and I think I, it's the craziest story of his transformation. Wow. And he tells the story of, of he, he grew up in, you know, 
bumblefuck, you know, northern on wherever the hell they are up in near the Arctic Circle up there. He never wanted to be a fighter. And he was a big dude, but mm-hmm. he had to. And that broke him. That broke his spirit. That broke everything about him. And he had to transform after he, you know, almost died on the ice. He did die on the ice. And he had to rebuild himself. And it was a crazy I go back, I listen to it like every few months. I'm like, geez, like mm-hmm. hockey players, hockey players are a different breed. Hockey, hockey's yeah. a hockey, hockey's a different sport. So let's talk a little bit about about playing with your son. Like, was it like he didn't even have a choice? I don't care if he doesn't want to play hockey. This kid's getting on the ice before he could before he could walk. He's got skates on. Or be like, you know what? Did your wife say to you, Andrew? Like, what if what if he doesn't like it? Yeah. Uh, he had, of course, <laughs> of course, he had a choice. It was either hockey or street hockey. I mean, I gave Roller him, or I gave, ice. Him a, <laughs> I gave him a variety of options. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, I, my, 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 my wife and I are high school sweethearts used to come to my street hockey games. I think she knew early on that this was going to be, uh, if he liked it, the path for him, she saw the joy and the career that it had given me and the lifestyle that it had given us. And I think that there are worse things that you could force yeah. your, your little one into my Get biggest, my biggest regret is that even though I coached the University of Connecticut women's ice hockey team for four years. I cannot get my 10 year old daughter to buy into hockey, love skating. We put a rink in the backyard in the winter time. So she gets out there and she oh, enjoys nice. it, but she's not ready for the, uh, the hockey life. It's all right. As long as she's skating and you guys could all skate. Does your wife skate? She has. Yes, to. she does. Yep. Yep. There's no way she couldn't skate. Right. That's no, like, not. But let's, but let's talk about that a little bit. The passion of the kids. Like, he, so my, my little dude, I am, my passion is Legos. I if you if I pan the camera over there, I keep all my adult Legos up there. I got spaceships. I got all these crazy things over there, and I've been playing more and more Legos with my my little guy, and he's finally advanced into that phase. And it's like when you're able to do something with your kid that you love so much, that's parenting, man. Like that's like that's the shit. Like that's like on a rainy, cold Sunday morning when it's my turn to get up early with him, and we're down in the basement just building and creating. And he's not on his iPad, but we're. I'm watching him think and, and the same thing with hockey. You see your son out there like thinking of the plays and, and, and hustling and working his ass. Like that's that's the good stuff, right? Like yeah. let's talk parenting a little bit. What's like, you know, what's what's your secret sauce? I'm 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 most proud when he's got a smile on his face because he did what he wanted to do and accomplish. Uh, I would tell you, my parenting advice to you is don't be mad when he stops loving Legos and when he yep. moves on to something else, find a way to be a part of whatever that something else is so that you can maintain that relationship, even if it's not your number one yeah. personal passion. Because definitely, you know, I'm a Lego guy too. We were all, you know, we've got all the Legos downstairs. We actually keep them on the shelf and they haven't been touched because he doesn't care anymore. But he moved into the hockey and he moved into the baseball and he moved into other things and we'll continue to do that. I think that embrace the passion. Yeah, I, for sure. I think that, um, you know, having your kids see how hard you work and be a part of your professional experience, if it's at all possible, is really important early on. A, uh, a, an understanding of not what you do, because it's difficult for them to comprehend, but right. the why the why you do it. Uh, and I'm not talking about for, for dollars and cents, but you do it because daddy leaves for work in the morning, gives you a hug. He's like, yeah, I'm, you know, if you love what you do, it's like, yeah, I'm going to work. It's like, do you have to leave now? It's like, I, I, I don't have to leave now, but I, I have to leave now because, you know, I got something really important. I'm really excited that I'm working on it. And then they start to understand that, you know, schoolwork and adult work and those sorts of things, you, you, you kind of have to do it. But if you find the passion in it, and it's tough now because he's, 
12 and he's in middle school and he's got homework and you got to, you know, be all over him to get it done. Oh, you got to yeah. explain to him like there's, there's, there's a purpose here. And, and I promise you, if you want to be happy and excited to go to work when you're an adult, the, the, the extra 5% you put in now is going to really, really pay off. Life will be easier if you put in the work now. Amen. I, I love it. And, and the, the cool part with this show is my, my daughter's been on a total of five or six times. I do the wrap-up show, end-of-year wrap-up show with every year, and it's like a time capsule for us. She's a little broadcaster, too. She has her TikTok channel. She's doing her stuff there. And you just embrace it, like the creativity and the passion, and and she loves it. And I, I go back, and it's like I look at all the shows that I've done with her over five years of her standing here, not being able to see over the you know the desk here to now you know being up to here and watching her grow, and, and, and that's what it's all about. So, Andrew, this has been a, a tremendous, tremendous conversation, and I feel like what a great way to just catch up, right? Like just catch up on life and everything. And um, I remember those serious days. And I always say I was there five years. Like it was a good run. I loved working there. And one of the lessons that <clears throat> my number one lesson from working at Sirius, I was, remember it was my first day there in Debbie Coarts. Remember Debbie? Debbie was my boss. And the first thing she did, she took me around all the way up to the, to the executive floor, made the round, literally sticking her head in Mel's office when Mel was there, like, the, the uh, what's her name is now Jen, Jen is now the CEO, yeah, yeah. right? Like the, the secretaries, the receptionist, the maintenance, the mailroom. She introduced me to everybody. And she said, the most important thing is that, you know, as many people in the company as possible and you treat them well and you treat them with respect and they will help you when you need it. And that was one of the key lessons that I learned from Debbie. And I took with me wherever I went it was just to make sure that I really got to know it. And I mean, listen, there's a lot of people where you work, but like, I, I bet you're that type of, I bet you walk in and you know most of the people in there. Uh, oh, I know everybody. Trust yeah. me. I know everybody. And, uh, and, and the way that I operate is uh, I'm at my desk about 25% of the day. Uh, 25% I'm in a conference room uh, and uh, 50% of the time I'm walking around the property or I'm walking around the office or I'm sitting in someone's office or in the cube. And, and uh I'm not taking away from their productivity. I'm adding to the trust that, that I have in them by engaging with them individually. And it's a big, and it's not a secret. It's a big part of why, you know, I think, Still. I hope that people, you know, stick around and, and, and how I can inspire them to, to be better leaders and, and better partners for us here at, the, at Howard Hughes and Seaport. I love that. I love that approach. And I speak to so many leaders and it, to a certain extent, like, it becomes a scalability issue if and when you could do that, but you do it as much as you can and, and when you can. So, Andrew, let's let's bring it home here. What is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on daily? It could be a mantra, something when you wake up in the morning, something that you say to yourself in your head to get your day going. Hmm. I mean, I am not afraid to be uncomfortable. And I think that people should be mindful uh, of the same. And it goes to the way you care for yourself personally and the things that you do in your relationship. It goes for the willingness to raise your hand in a, be a big meeting full of executives and say, I, I don't know what that means. Can you explain it to me without saying this is a really dumb question? If you're not uncomfortable, um, you're not challenging yourself, which may be a little bit cliche, but um, I don't shy away from things that are that are uncomfortable. That's some solid advice. And, and last but not least, you look back on your life and you certainly had the, the rough moments and trials and tribulations and you had those hard parts. And you look back on those times and you had to reach down deep and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up and forward and take on a new job, take on a new challenge. And in the same breath, you sit here with gratitude and appreciation for this life, this family, this career that you created 
Andrew Schwartz, what is your focus? What is your beacon? What is your North Star in life? My North Star is to provide for my family and the people who are around me an example of somebody who did it the right way. Um, and that doesn't fall in one particular vertical of, of, of family only or work only or hockey only or coaching only. Just nice to, to, to be around people who appreciate the, the process and appreciate the trajectory, understand that you're there for that quiet moment where they just need somebody to talk to, understand that you're there to challenge them, to have hard conversations that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you know, I think the two connect together uh, and the trust that comes with all that. My family needs to trust that I'm doing the right thing. I need to trust that they're working hard. My teammates trust, our shareholders trust, my boss trusts, et cetera. So I think, I think it's, it, you know, that, that's what I would say, that if you, can, if you can understand that trust is at the core of it all, those uncomfortable things won't be uncomfortable, the growth won't be so scary, uh, and the, the opportunities will present themselves. I love it. This has been a good one, Andrew. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Hang with me one moment here as we sign off. If uh, anybody wants to learn more, check out the Seaport at theseaport.nyc. You can follow Andrew on LinkedIn. You can find him, Andrew Schwartz, on LinkedIn, Howard Hughes Corp, Howard Hughes Partnerships. You could check it out anywhere else. Where are we missing? My Instagram is not something that anybody wants a, wants a part of. There's nothing exciting over there except maybe some old pictures of my son and I building Legos when he was, uh, when he was six. I love it, Andrew. This has been awesome. I, I, I love catching up. Hang with me for one second here as I sign off. And everyone listening, if this episode resonated with you, leave a review rating. It goes a long way. Sharing means caring. Find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels. Remember, be good to yourself, be better to others, and catch us next week for another great episode of The Podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.